0: The investigators believe he murdered
1: her. They just can't prove it. It's my first initial call to the private investigator working on my dad's case.
2: My wife jumps up from the table and says, oh my god, who is this man coming in the backyard? I divorced him because I couldn't trust him at all. He lied to me at the very beginning. He was living two separate lives.
0: in the water about 50 yards away and identified it as it was a person.
3: Currently, you are listening to season two of Ashes to Ash TV, What Happened to Carolyn Blankenfeld? Episode 10, Safety First.
2: available to take your call. Please leave a message after the
3: tone. Hi Andrew, my name is Ash and I'm doing a documentary series on Carolyn Blankenfeld who had drowned um, in the bay there and you had found the boat uh, with three dogs on it that had floated up to the shore there. And I was hoping if I could chat with you about it. So if you don't mind giving me a call back, I would be grateful. Thank you.
2: I'm Carolyn's twin and brother. We grew up together in Manchester, New Hampshire. We went to the same school. I can remember uh, my mom telling me coming home that my mom uh, separated Carol and I when we were in early grade school. Mostly my mom said because I was too dependent on my sister and I, I wasn't paying attention enough. So I came home crying every day for one week because I wasn't with my sister. And, and then over time, you know, it got better. I have very fond memories of us growing up. Um, We would walk to school holding hands and I'd pick flowers together with her. She was my protector. I was, how could I say it? I was a very passive child. Carolyn was a very, a child that would kind of stand up for herself and stand up for other people. And she protected me in school. If someone was bullying me, she would go up to him and basically tell him to stop doing it. So Carolyn was, she was my protector. She was my sister. She was a strong, she was a strong twin out of between the two of us. I always felt safe around her because I always felt that she would always, you know, look after me and, and cover my back, you know? And anybody that messed with me in school, she, she would go up to them. She was never afraid to, to go up to somebody and just tell them to knock it off. And that was her character throughout her life. She was a very strong woman, and she said what was on her mind. Not, not in a rude way. I think in a very direct way. I, I think she was very intelligent. She never went to college, but she was also extremely smart. She was very naturally gifted, and, and a very smart person. But if she saw something and was determined, she wouldn't let it go. She would pursue it. I, she would be a good detective, because she would she would dig up things. If I wanted to find out something, she would find out what it was. <laughs> and make sure that she reviewed everything. She was very detail-oriented, very meticulous about certain things. She did things more, a little bit more risky than I would have done, but she lived her life full, and she, she didn't have any regrets what she was doing. You know, she rode motorcycles. I watched her ride the biggest Harley motorcycle, the big one. She had a Road King, and she had, I think she had a Street Glide, and then she rode the top-of-the-line one, and I couldn't believe how she rode it. She was only five foot one, and she rode that thing. She did you know, figure eights and stuff. It was, I watched her at a Harley dealership she used to work at, and I watched her ride one day. And she just could ride bikes. She would ride in all kinds of weather. And high winds, and she was, she was tough. She could swim. I don't think she was a strong swimmer. I think she learned, you know she learned how to swim. she could swim. I know she didn't like deep water. I've gone boating with her and she always used to swim in the more shallow areas. And I was always very careful. When she would get off a boat, she would always get off by the ladder. She never jumped off boats and she never jumped off objects, any type of moving object that I, that I could see. I know she did jet skis and she would do, you know, hit waves and go high in the air and come down. I like doing that too. And you know, there's some risk with that, of course. But anytime I was with her, and I, I'd been on her boat, boat with her, she was always very safety conscious, and she never swam in deep water. We kayaked across where she lived, uh, across the inlet in um, Pensacola, Alabama, which is two miles across. Her and I did it twice, and we knew the middle of the inlet was always the most turbulent waters. And we talked, we talked about that one time, and she was not comfortable with being in deep water. And, you know, I said, gee, what happens if, you know, something, one of us happens? If we, you know, roll over on the kayak, she goes, well, you know, we would be okay, but I wouldn't want to be in the middle of the inlet swimming. So I, I knew that that's something she didn't enjoy doing. She enjoyed doing things as far as water in a safe way, you could say. Um, but I've never seen her dive off. You know maybe a dock she maybe jumped off a low level dock into the water we all we all have done that but i've never seen her jump off a boat ever ever i've been with her a lot and and i've been on boats with her not all the time but the times i've been on her. she she's she's never done that she's never done that back at the
3: studio hi charles
1: hi ash so yeah i was on the other line when you called
3: oh yeah no problem did you listen to the voicemail Yes, I did. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So basically I'm doing a documentary on uh, what happened to Carolyn on the water that day. And we're just trying to get interviews with all the people who have a piece of the puzzle there. Um, I know yours is rather small because it was just finding the boat, but we do like to talk to everybody. So I was just wondering if that's something you're interested in or talking to us about? Sure. Okay, perfect. So we actually, we can do a phone interview, which is great, um, but we do like to do in-person, on-camera interviews, and we actually will be out there next week, and I was wondering if I might be able to set up uh, an on-camera interview with you. Yeah, I don't see why not. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and I'll, I mean, we'll just, we're not asking you anything but the purview of what you know, which is where the boat was, what, how, what state you found it in, those kind of questions. Sure. Okay, perfect. We hit the road to meet up with Charles and Andy. So thanks for sitting down with us today. Mm-hmm. Charles and Andy are the two that recovered the boat after it was floating along by itself once Chris and Carolyn were no longer on the boat. So basically, I guess I just wanted to really talk to you about the day that you guys discovered the boat. So we're talking about May 6, 2018. Had you heard anything before the boat came, right? Because nothing had really gotten to...
0: Oh, absolutely not. No. no yeah. We were just at my house and we noticed boat out there and when you're on the water you're looking out there all the time you see boats go by but this one was just floating and towards the land and we didn't see any activity on it
1: right Andy noticed it and we walked from his house down this way as it was floating toward land on this side
0: yeah our concern was it hitting a dock you know because it looked like it was just it was free floating there's not dragging anchor (laughs) and anything you know but then we noticed these little dogs running around. But anyhow, we went to rescue it because it was gonna hit the dock out here. Oh, okay. So we basically walked out there in the water and got to it and then talked about, hey, there's dogs on here. And instead of, there's pretty good north, east wind. We knew exactly where the boat had come from. I mean, you could have went back and took it right back to the area that it came from because we know where the wind was coming from. But that's beside the point. The dogs were on there, so we we couldn't really push it upwind and to my dock, so we decided to...
1: No, I just walked out there. It wasn't that deep. It's got a really shallow bay, so it was, mm-hmm. what, 150 feet, 200 feet off mm-hmm. when but I did got to start
0: the, the motor yeah. and drove it <clears throat> to the The field. gate
1: was open, so I just pushed the gate. It was a pontoon boat, okay. and I pushed the gate, and that's when I saw the three dogs, and... I didn't wait for to introduce, I just jumped up and they backed off.
0: Yeah, they weren't aggressive. Or no, they seemed fine, yeah. they really were calm. Just probably confused no, the keys
1: were in it and so I cranked the motor up to get it away from the docks so that it was gonna hit and took it back out and then I went over to Andy's dock and we tied it up there.
3: So when you said you got to the boat, how high was the water to you when you got to the boat about, do you think?
1: Probably just over my waist.
3: You said the door on the pontoon was open? mm mm-hmm. Okay, so were the dogs actually running on the
1: Outside. No, they were in. I didn't see the dogs until I got to no. it and saw something in there, and yeah. then I pushed yeah, the door open. They weren't doing much of anything, just okay.
0: a couple sitting on the ground. Maybe one was on a bench sitting there.
1: And I'm sorry,
3: you said you, pu- you pushed the door open. Right. Oh, it was closed, Either okay. pulled,
1: it, it was not locked. I didn't have to climb. Oh, know, okay. The, you know, on a pontoon boat, you got the little door to jump out, so that door was open. And it was unlatched. Oh, okay. And that's how I got into it. And then
3: when you found the boat, it was, the keys were in it, but it wasn't started at that, it wasn't running right. at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then you just pulled it up and tied it to the dock. And had you ever seen boats get loose like that before?
0: Other than a storm, no. A storm, or if they were on the beach across, tide came up, and the boat they were, left the boat unattended, you know, it would have just washed straight like it did. Because there is a beach right where it came from that's pretty, um... Popular beach for people to sit and park there. You know?
1: Yeah, I don't think either one of us were like, oh my goodness, there's a boat with nobody in it. It was more like, somebody had lost his boat. Better go grab it, somebody's going to be looking yeah. for it type mm-hmm. thing. Nothing, you know, alarming to me anyway.
0: Until we looked around.
3: So, what did you guys find when you looked around?
0: Wallet, sunglasses, telephones,
1: beach tiles. I just mean, like somebody had just jumped off of it. Fell off or, or
0: something. Because everything was. um. Just sitting, just like, just like somebody had just fell off. So that got us a little worried, and we, my wife called 911. We were possibly going to take it out there. I knew where to take it to if somebody had fell off of it or they left if it left the beach. Mm-hmm. I knew where to, exactly where to take it so they could got the boat back. But then I said, no, this looks kind of scary. I'm just going to make a phone call and let. Authorities take care of it, you know.
3: Do you know around what time you first saw the boat?
1: It was a couple hours before dark. Hour.
0: Yeah, and then we found out that the guy who eventually swam all the way to shore over here was arrived like 7 something, or
2: 7.30. Yeah. So he
0: had two and a half, three hours to be in that water. Figured he was exhausted. Sweet. If he swam, that's a pretty good distance. Two and a half miles, you know, to swim with a wind to you you can only really swim one direction when you have a wind like we had you know so he actually swam right downwind and he ended up you know to the east of us
3: and after you guys called the cops what happened after that
0: we saved the boat up put some bumpers in there you know and made sure it was tied up good because it was kind of banging on the pier you know so we just saved it up and waited for people to come and it I wasn't really so. involved
1: with that. I came back over here because it was just a somebody's boat. I wouldn't. Yeah, you know, not.
3: not too worried. You're not thinking
0: anything crazy. Well, I, I think FWC came first.
3: FWC stands for Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission in Florida.
0: And the yeah. guy made some phone calls, and he was worried. Um. Then the regular sheriff's, local came down here about two of them, and. They said, hey, this is an investigation now. Nobody else goes on the boat. Did y'all move anything? I said, no, we just looked at where things were laying and put them right back where they were, you know, the wallet.
1: Yeah.
0: We uh, looked up who the guy was, I think.
1: Yeah, his ID and her ID, they were both there on the boat. Mm Mm-hmm, in the wallet, you know. Do you
3: remember what kind of clothes that you saw on the boat?
1: Maybe a
0: a pullover like a woman would wear, Mm -hmm. you know.
1: Beach towel? Oh, Towels, okay. yeah, everything was was odd. Don't really call them anything out of the ordinary that wouldn't mm. be in a boat?
0: It was a short afternoon trip they were doing, you know.
1: How
3: long would you say after you called the cops approximately did it take them to get here?
0: <sighs> so, I'd say 30, 20 to 40 minutes.
3: Oh. Did you stay with the fish and wildlife after they got there or did you just kind of let them?
0: Oh, uh, We stayed there and I talked to him about my thoughts of where the boat came from because I, I know which way the wind was going exactly but then he called in some reinforcements to search the bay and everybody was way to the west with the helicopter and the other boat that came looking for them. They never really came over here where I had told them I think because they were from Alabama. Oh, okay. I'm not really sure but I wasn't satisfied with the search and I made it known that I didn't think they were looking in the right place but he said hey we're we're going to look over here,
2: you know, to the east. I mean, west, west, really, where they look real well. Into.
3: Yeah. During Mark's interview, he explained.
2: She was a very caring mom. She took care of her kids well. She was very responsible. She was strict with them. She told me one time, you know, if, you're, if your kids hate you, then at times, they, then you're doing your job. She goes, I'm, I'm not here to be their friend. I'm here to be their parent. And she's right. She's right. She was a good mom. She was a, a great mom. She was, she was a very cool mom. Her kids' friends really thought she was cool, because she was very, very progressive, very modern in her thinking, and um, I think the kids really, the kids really liked that. And I think their friends liked it too. They thought she was a pretty cool lady. You know, when they bought their house in Lillian, I stayed in that house when it was. I think I remember I, in the guest room, I bought the bed, and I actually slept in that house a few weekends. You know, until they officially moved in there. And it was a beautiful area. You know, they had the inlet there and it was really a beautiful house and um, it was right close to the water. And, and it was a nice neighborhood. People were very friendly. It was a small community. You can enjoy the inlet and watch the sunsets, see the dolphins come in right in the early evening. They were hunting for fish. It was really cool. There's a lot of interesting wildlife there. It was great for their dogs. They can take them down the beach. I always enjoyed going there. I always enjoyed visiting her there. It was always relaxing and pleasant and, and a lot of fun, and we had a little fire in the backyard late at night, and we'd drink a little bit, and, and then friends from the neighborhood would come over, her friend Buddy would come over, and he, we had good times. We had really, really good times. I, good, I have very good memories of that.
3: Back with Charles and Andy, we continued talking about what they found.
0: Google that and see how you know far that is from here to here. That's a pretty good swim. We don't know where he was out here yeah. swimming. You know, yeah, where exactly. Where she went off and he supposedly jumped in to find her without throwing the anchor out. With the wind blowing, that boat's gonna go away pretty quick. Well, I heard that he she jumped in, didn't come up. He went in looking for her
1: mm.
0: down in the water, and then he came up and the boat was
1: on gone. its way. Yeah. yeah.
3: And who did you hear that from? Just kind of rumor mill, or concert? yeah, rumor
0: mill, mill from uh, afterwards when it was um, that was his story. Yeah, I had heard from maybe the FWC when they you know they came out the next day looking for, absolutely, searching for the body, a body, and it ended up to the west of us.
3: So after the cops came and dealt with the boat, how did, did they just leave the boat there? Or? They that...
0: got the, the guy's son to come, the owner's son, to come get the dogs. He was upset, you know, I guess. I don't know if it's his mother-in-law or if it's his mother. That was his mom. Yeah, yeah. that was his blood
3: mom. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it wasn't a happy time. We, um, I think I came on in. Yeah, Nothing back we back could to do.
3: Was the boat still here when the, Chris came out of the water? Or you don't know, because.
0: It stayed overnight.
3: Oh, it's every it overnight. Did they come and haul it out? I went next? to work
0: the next day and somebody came and got it in got the
2: it. morning. Oh, okay. Drove it off.
3: Mark continues.
2: Well, Carolyn would, would say some things, you know, tell me Chris was impatient sometimes and they would get into arguments now and then. I know they had some marital problems. When I lived down there, there were some marital issues going on. I know that... Chris and Carolyn separated very briefly. At least that's what Chris told me and, and Carolyn didn't say a lot to me about it. She said that they were basically getting their own space. What I heard is there was another person in the, re, in the relationship involved on her end, but I, I could never corroborate that. And, and I didn't wanna really pry into their business too much. I guess they were trying to work it out and I think eventually they did. I don't know any the more details regarding that, but I know that Chris told me he was writing a letter to Carolyn, that how much he wanted to be with her and how much he cared about her, that she was everything in his life. And that was, you know, back then. And that they, you know, that we, they could work that out. So I guess they, they did work that out. I know that Chris used to travel and, and I knew that, and I know that she missed him. But she was also used to being independent and alone, you know, and alone having a prior marriage, you know, with someone in the military. But you know, she was comfortable doing that, and you know, he would travel with one of the companies, and and I think he would travel sometimes a couple of weeks at a time. He was for the most part pretty patient with her. I think they had disagreements a lot of times. Carol had a very strong personality, and she wanted things done a certain way, and I think he he wanted. Done a certain way, but I think he would give in more to Carolyn <laughs> Carolyn's you know ideas and stuff. at least that's what I saw when I was there. So I think Carolyn was kind of the boss in the relationship, at least that's what I saw. she was frugal she could she she could sell she could talk somebody into buying something. I know she would, and you know what she was an attractive woman, and so that always didn't hurt in sales, she did things that only men would do, and particularly in the South, how women are perceived in the South. It's a little bit different. It's changed a lot, of course, but but in some areas there's a certain role that women play and there's other roles that women don't play. And it's 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 an old kind of an old school mentality in, in some parts. It made her even more wanting to do it, you know? She was a Maverick.
3: Andy and Charles continue. Did you have an impression of how the water was that day? Did you feel like it was more choppy than normal or seemed pretty calm or?
0: It wasn't anything no. abnormal. When we have a wind, it's a little bit of chop, you know? No. He should have, before he dove off, his pitched anchor in the water. And the guy, was he'd been in the um, boating before. He was very experienced,
1: I hear.
3: Do you guys boat at all?
1: Uh, I bought a boat Saturday.
3: Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of boat?
1: Uh, Yamaha. Okay. A little 19-foot bay boat. So.
3: Oh, nice. How about you? Do you boat? Yeah, my
0: neighbor has a pontoon boat, and we share it We keep it at my pier because okay. she doesn't you want to keep it,
1: so it's pretty convenient.
3: Have you ever been out on on this part of the bay where you've ever become like nervous about how the... I like,
1: mean, this bay is only 12 15 feet deep on average so I mean there's only so big of a wave that can develop. I mean you can get blown around and get scared if you've got a small enough boat but that pontoon boat would have to be in one heck of a straight line wind to really oh, knock somebody off yeah, yeah it, wouldn't, knock, happen. No. it really wouldn't
0: happen it really would not you're not gonna fall off of it no. yeah even if you're just sitting there and it's rocking you're not gonna get knocked off it's yeah. not
1: ever right. like that. not in the gulf where it's you know hundreds of feet deep it's completely different but this is a shallow bay and yeah. it just can't do the same things that it does out there
3: did you guys ever uh in your experience and this is just to what you've experienced do you did you ever see people out just swimming in the middle of the bay or was they always doing a sport like
0: windsurfing no they always have a boat with them and now somebody has, it's a thousand feet to get where you're over your head, walking out here. Wow. Yeah, it's a long Holy way. So you can cow. be out there right now and it'd be up to your, above your knees. Yeah. At the end of my dock right now, it'd be about your knees. Yeah. It's shallow. Then it goes up to a little bit, then shoot, 700 feet, it might be up to your waist. So uh, right at a thousand feet, it, it drops down where it'd be over your head. So we have seen people swimming along the shallow water out there towards the west just for exercise.
3: But never anyone like straight through the middle and you're just mm-hmm. in things you've mm-hmm.
1: seen? It's Maybe four miles straight across there, yeah. isn't it? Maybe I mean, a deer. That's a long way to swim. Yeah. Deer really? Yeah. That's
3: mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. He's like trying to get to the grass on the other side. No, he's looking for Florida, he's leaving <laughs> <the> Alabama. <laughs> no. He's done with Alabama. Mm-hmm. It's flight, deer flight going on mm-hmm. here. <laughs> Have you ever heard of anyone drowning in the bay? Is that a common thing that happens or you haven't really? Not at all.
1: Not in this bay, yeah.
3: Uh-huh. So you said you do see some people swim, but they're swimming kind of close. They're swimming kind of more along the shore, but out a little ways. Yes, okay. out near
0: the edge where mm-hmm. it drops off. It's I almost a straight line. Yeah. It really is. It goes a pretty good ways and it just drops, but it's not more than eight to 10 feet out there. Deepest part, like 13 to 16 is a channel way over on the alabama side of the bay otherwise no other than that it's it's shallow have you ever
3: uh, anchored the pontoon like on the beach that we were looking at there i'm talking about the beach chris and carolyn went to the day carolyn died mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then what people is it like usually crowded in may or no
0: no i wouldn't say it's crowded the, the very tip of that peninsula that went out there's a point that gets quite a few people on it Lots of room for boats on both sides of the sandbar. Oh, okay. And they'll spend the day. They'll cook out and spend a lot and, of time.
3: And you would you say on a nice summer day on a weekend or something that there's, you know, how would you say there's like ten boats out there or no, like I'd twenty say or fifty? Four to eight.
0: No, not oh, okay. me, so no. Oh, okay. So it's always
3: kind. of, From your experience, it's always been yeah, kind of just what's a couple decent. boats. It's, it's not real crowded. Have you ever gone out there where it's just you mm-hmm. anchored out there? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so there are times where it's even kind of. Oh, private. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Nice. Meanwhile, Mark reflects back on Chris's behavior.
2: I know that he worked for two companies. He worked for Envirocon. Then he got a job at Austell. He left down and he went to Austell Corporation, which is in Mobile. And that's where they build aluminum ships. They do the trimaran. That's a government contract. I guess they do the littoral combat ships. They got the contract from the military. He seemed to enjoy it. He told me that he saved the company quite a bit of money, made some changes. Within the the company itself, and that he got along very well with the president of the company, and that he was that safety officer of, of that of that facility. And he would go out on sea trials, so he knew a lot about boats. He was also Coast Guard. He told me he was part of search and rescue. He would do drug interdiction on the seas. He told me, and he was part of the stri- a strike force or something. A strike force. That, yeah, that's what he told me. He said he was part of that, and that he would do search and rescue, drug interdiction he'd find bodies in the ocean and they would retrieve them. And he told me about different things that he encountered on the ocean. The job was risky and they would, you know, get on boats and raid boats, follow drug dealers that may be smuggling. I mean, this this is what he told me. And, you know, it sounded, I took him at his word that this is what he did. He was a pretty strong guy. I know that he had a lot of experience regarding ocean I mean, those guys are trained pretty well and they're trained to react in a certain way. And also being on boats and being a safety officer and doing uh, boat trials, you really have to know boat safety pretty well. I mean, he, he's an expert. He should be an expert at it.
3: Did you ever get the impression that that he was lying to you
2: about anything? Um, yes. He, he, when I talked with him, he told me that he when he washed up on shore, that he had water in his lungs and that they they put a breathing tube in him. It's what we call intubation. I do that every day at work being an anesthetist. I know what it is and I know it quite well. What I did find out later on is that he wasn't intubated and that he got discharged from the hospital a day later, which kind of surprised me because I know when people get intubated, you can get the tube out, a breathing tube out within a relatively certain period of time. It depends on the damage to the lungs. Now, if I know being in my profession, if you ingested seawater in your lungs, that's pretty damaging to your lungs. It depends on the extent of the damage. It also depends on how much you entered your lungs. And that would be proven through chest x-ray. And if he's intubated, they probably wouldn't have extubated him, meaning taking the tube out that quickly if he had that amount of water in his lungs. He also told me that he was on a CPAP at home because he wasn't breathing well afterwards. I was told that he did not have CPAP and I was also told based on the report that I read is that he was not intubated. So why he would tell me those things? I don't know. This is what he told me on the phone that he was, he washed up. He was intubated. He had water in his lungs and that he still had problems breathing. And that it was on CPAP at home. Now in in my profession, anesthesia, we use CPAP a lot of times for sleep apnea because it's positive pressure. And you can also use it for people with other lung, lung issues. But what I was told is that none of that happened. So why he would tell me that, I don't know. That kind of puzzled me quite a bit actually. When he talked to me on the phone, I remember having a conversation with him. It might've been either in the hospital or after the hospital. He didn't sound short of breath to me whatsoever on the phone his voice sounded quite normal and he sounded like that he was breathing perfectly fine. I know how people breathe because that's my job being in the profession I am. If people are in distress or not in distress and if they've had recent lung injury and and they, particularly if they've had water in their lungs, they're, they're, their breathing is gonna be a little bit labored. It's gonna be a little bit hard when you're talking. You're gonna get a little bit of shortness of breath. At least that's what I, from my training and what I've seen in my profession. That's typically what you see. I didn't really detect that talking with him on the phone that he was in any respiratory distress. Chris knew how to drive a boat. He was actually very good at driving boats, even unloading the boat into the water. He knew how to, how to, how to reverse, bring the boat down down into the ramp, get it in the water. He knew how to unhitch it. He knew how to tie it down. He knew all the safety protocols on the boat. He, even let, he let me drive the boat one time Um, Which was a lot of fun. That's when they didn't have the pontoon. They had a boat prior to that. Um, Let me drive it. You know, he knew about nautical, nautical miles. I mean, he would talk to me in Coast Guard knowledge, you know, of of nautical miles and he, he always would talk in a very manner that he knew exactly what was going. He knew a lot about boat engines he knew about everything. He was talking to everything to me about the boat. And it's like he had a lot, a lot, a lot of knowledge about boating, about direction, about reading maps. Um, he knew a lot about safety. I mean, he would tell me a lot of things about boat safety. He taught me about boat safety. So he had an extreme wealth of knowledge that he, at least he imparted to me about, about safe, boat safety, what you should do or shouldn't do, his experience, when he was in the Coast Guard, he referred to that, you know, often enough. And so, you know, I trusted him in his knowledge. And he's he, he came across to me as someone that knew exactly feeling very comfortable on a boat, who knew how to steer a boat quite well. He would always follow boat rules. You know, he would always drop the anchor, he would always put the 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 ladder down. Carol would wait for him to put the ladder down. I remember we parked at a at a beach, I forgot what beach it was. We drove the boat up right onto the beach. He tied the boat down. Um, I got out, I pulled the boat in with the rope. Carolyn got out on the ladder. She would never, she would wait for him to put the ladder down. She never jumped off the boat or into the water. She's never done that. She'd always wait, always would wait.
3: Ashes to Ash is created by Ash Patino. Associate producer Kate Giordano. Special guest Bree. Interviews Mark, Charles, and Andy. Technical swimmer, Victoria Gockler. Crew members, Cole Ellers and Montana Samuels. Music score, David Patino. To subscribe to Ashes to Ash TV, please go to ashes2ashtv.com. A-S-H-E-S-T-O-A-S-H-T-V.com. If you know of any illegal activity involving this case, please reach out to your local law enforcement. If you would like to give us a tip or information, we can keep you anonymous. Please email us at ashland57 at gmail.com. A S H L A N D 57 at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Ashes2Ash True Crime and on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Ashes2Ash TV.